It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like, what the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. Before we begin this story, please note that the dogs involved in the Mayflower expedition never had their names officially recorded. To put names to the furry faces, we're calling them Duncan, the Springer Spaniel, and Martha, the English Mastiff. Additionally, the lack of clear historical record in some instances required creative liberties to be taken when describing certain events. After 66 days cooped up on a ship, Duncan was eager to run. The English Springer Spaniel wagged his tail excitedly, paws tapping the edge of the wooden rowboat. The weather was cold and rainy, the ocean choppy beneath them, but it didn't bother Duncan. He had his sight set on a small strip of land off modern-day Cape Cod, and his owner, Pilgrim John Goodman had his sights set on the first fresh meat they'd seen in months. For John Goodman and his fellow pilgrims, the arduous journey on the Mayflower tested the limits of their endurance and their faith. But John and Duncan had no idea that the next year would test them even more. They reached the shore and Goodman was astonished at what he saw a group of Wampanoag people cutting up a dead whale. The Wampanoags saw Goodman and Duncan and hid behind the trees. Duncan ran up to the whale, no fear at all. The dog sniffed the carcass and nibbled at its cold flesh. The dog was enjoying the spoils of the new world and its new food already. But his owner was wary, and rightfully so. As John left the boat and stretched his legs, Wampanoag arrows whizzed in his direction. He yelled to Duncan and to his fellow pilgrims, it wasn't safe here. The pilgrims ran back to their boat. Arrows hissed by them as they up-anchored and set out again. Goodman was out of breath, almost in shock from his near-death experience. But when he glanced at Duncan, the dog's mouth was wide open and his bushy tail wagged. For Duncan, it was just another day filled with adventure and excitement. Welcome to Dog Tales, a podcast original. Every week, we tell the stories of historic, heroic canines. We'll profile dogs who saved people from earthquakes, went to outer space, and even spurred the invention of Velcro. I'm your host, Alastair. You can find episodes of Dog Tales and all other podcast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Dog Tales for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Dog Tales in the search bar. This week, we're telling the story of a dog we're calling Duncan. He was an English Springer Spaniel who sailed with the pilgrims on the Mayflower. 
Duncan had a difficult journey from Europe to America, but played an integral role as the pilgrims made peace with the Wampanoag tribe. He even joined the first Thanksgiving. When the Mayflower set sail in September of 1620, no one on board quite knew what to expect while at sea or what awaited them across the ocean. They sought a new home where they could worship as they saw fit. They sailed to freedom and opportunity. What started out as a voyage filled with hope soon turned into a journey of despair and gloom. Most of the 102 passengers were cold and sick. Some even faced verbal abuse from the sailors working the ship. The crew saw the pilgrims as stuck-up religious zealots, ignorant of the ocean's challenges. However, two passengers tried to lift their friend's spirits. Martha, an English Mastiff, and Duncan, an English Springer Spaniel. John Goodman, a 25-year-old linen weaver, was responsible for both Duncan and Martha. Like the pilgrims, Martha's journey on the Mayflower offered her a better life. Before the voyage, as was common for the time, she'd likely fought in a popular spectator sport called bear baiting. At these events, dogs and captive bears would fight to the death. Luckily, not long before she boarded the Mayflower, pilgrim John Goodman adopted Martha. Now, she'd only have to fight if a bear attacked her new master in the wilds of North America. Goodman's Springer Spaniel, Duncan, had more likely lived a much more privileged life. His breed were exceptional hunting dogs who'd roamed the lush terrains of England and Holland. He adored helping his master track down prey. Duncan was utterly devoted to Goodman. Goodman understood the kind of dog Duncan was, a free spirit suited for bucolic hunting grounds. The dog's confinement within the leaky decks of the Mayflower weighed on his mind. The boat was a mere 80 by 24 feet, with over 100 people squished on board. The dogs ran amok among the pilgrims, regularly venturing above deck to chase each other around the cramped vessel. All Goodman could hope for was that their promised destination offered bountiful hunting grounds where his dogs could run more than a few yards at a time and without bumping into salty sailors. But Duncan wasn't the only one suffering from the strain of travel. Within weeks, disease swept the Mayflower, striking Goodman. Ever loyal, Duncan quit his daily runs through the boat, remaining by his bedridden master's side. Finally, while Goodman fell asleep, some children managed to tempt him away from his master to play in the fresh air above deck. Waves rocked the boat back and forth, as Duncan played with the children, a massive swell rushed over the ship. Duncan remained safely on board, albeit a bit wet. But one of the passengers was less lucky. 
a young man had been washed off the boat and clung to the topsail rope. He tried to climb back on board, but wasn't strong enough to hoist himself out of the water. He held on for dear life, fighting to stay afloat in the treacherous ocean. The pilgrims didn't believe in swimming, and most of them couldn't. As the man held tight to the rope, the rough waters pulled him more than 10 feet below the surface. If no one acted soon, he'd likely drown. Luckily, Duncan spotted the drowning man and barked ferociously. The spaniel's persistent barks drew the attention of several sailors who took hold of the rope and pulled the man out of the ocean. It was the first life Duncan saved, but it wouldn't be the last. As the journey continued, Duncan brought comfort to sick and distressed passengers. He even supported passenger Elizabeth Hopkins when she went into labor on board the ship. With Duncan by his side, Goodman eventually recovered. As soon as he was able to get out of bed, he marched up to the top deck. There, he pulled his dog close, cuddling him while praying and giving thanks. As he gazed upon the sea, Goodman saw birds hovering over the ship. Duncan barked in excitement, jumping at the seagulls. But Goodman knew that they meant one thing. Land was near. The Mayflower dropped anchor on a beautiful fall morning off the coast of Cape Cod. On November 11th, 1620, the pilgrims' tortuous journey was over, but they couldn't rest yet. They needed food, fresh water, and a place to establish their new colony. Since no one knew what this strange land held, many were reluctant to go exploring. Duncan, on the other hand, couldn't wait. As Goodman's feet touched dry land for the first time in months, he ordered Duncan to stay close. But the dog couldn't contain himself. The new world was packed with sounds he'd never before heard, scents he'd never before smelled. He raced up the coastline, Goodman trailing after him. After months on the Mayflower, Duncan was eager to hunt again. He splashed in shallow wave pools, snapping at fish. He charged at ducks and geese, sending them flying away. Goodman urged Duncan away from the sea and into the thick brush along the shoreline. The dog took the lead, sniffing out forest paths, until suddenly he went stock still. Goodman looked up to see a small band from the Wampanoag tribe. He hadn't expected to run into the land's existing occupants so quickly. His heart pounded. Duncan, however, wagged his tail at the new faces. In response, one Wampanoag whistled at him. After all, a love for dogs knows no cultural borders. But Goodman wasn't ready to let his guard down. He warned Duncan to stay at his side. For a loaded moment, Goodman and the Wampanoags stared at one another. 
Neither knew the other's language. Neither knew if he stared at a friend or foe. Finally, the Wampanoag group retreated into the woods. Goodman exhaled in relief. He and Duncan rushed back to shore where the rest of the pilgrims were waiting. Goodman immediately told everyone about his encounter. Despite the Wampanoag's friendliness with Duncan, the pilgrims weren't sure if they could be trusted. They agreed to proceed with caution. The next day, Goodman and Duncan departed to hunt and explore once more. Meanwhile, armed pilgrims lined the shore, ready to defend themselves if necessary. Goodman hadn't even made it out of their sight when he saw a tall figure in the distance. He was armed and fast approaching. Up next, Duncan and Goodman face down another culture clash. Now back to the story. Duncan barked, warning Goodman of a new person. In response, Goodman grabbed his dog, afraid that he might run headlong into danger. Along the shore, the pilgrims raised their weapons. Suddenly, the Wampanoag man paused. He surveyed the strange travelers and Duncan. He was certainly familiar with dogs, but Duncan was something new, an entirely different breed. He had long hanging ears, white fur curling in the coastal fog, and a mottled brown and white face. He was a sharp contrast to the dogs of the Americas, who held a much stronger resemblance to their wolf ancestors. Taking advantage of the Wampanoag's distraction, one of the pilgrims called for a charge. Goodman joined the sprint. But the pilgrims weren't prepared for a chase in ankle-deep sand and slowed down quickly. The Wampanoag vanished into the thick trees. However, the pilgrims were encouraged. They defended their claim to this land. Emboldened, Goodman, Duncan and a few others ventured seven miles inland that evening and made camp. Around the fire that night, they discussed what to do at their next inevitable encounter with the Wampanoags. They determined it was an opportunity to demonstrate their Christian charity. They'd attempt to make peace with their newest neighbors. But first, they had to find where the Wampanoags lived. The next morning, Duncan led the scouting party deep into the forest. He sniffed at dirt trails and broken branches, seeking any sign of human life. However, the search quickly changed. The scouts had only brought a strong liquor called aqua vitae with them and grew severely dehydrated. They gave Duncan a new task, find water. At around 10 a.m., Duncan picked up a scent. He sprinted forward. The pilgrims followed all the way to a natural spring. Once more, Duncan had saved his masters. But he still needed to help them find the local tribes so they could broker peace. Along the way, the pilgrims stumbled upon an open field with luminous yellow, blue, and red corn. 
Although the pilgrims had resolved to befriend the local Wampanoags, their hunger now got the better of them. It had been too long since they'd eaten anything other than the Mayflower's meager stores. They picked as much corn as they could carry, storing it in satchels for the settlers waiting back at camp. The plan to befriend their new country citizens was abandoned. But the delicious find didn't solve the larger problem. While their temporary camp was suitable for a few weeks, the pilgrims still hadn't found a location for a permanent colony. At least, not until a scout located a beautiful harbor just up the coast. Maybe it was just far enough away to take them out of the Wampanoag's territory. Maybe they could peacefully coexist from afar. They set sail on December 15th, skirting around Cape Cod to reach the harbor. The pilgrims finally broke ground on the colony we know as Plymouth on December 23rd, 1620. The search for a new home was over. Now it was time to forge a community. The Pilgrims' first winter at Cape Cod from 1620 to 1621 was torturously cold. Even Duncan, the English Spaniel's thick coat, wasn't prepared for the weather. Climatologists have called that record-breaking year the Little Ice Age, thanks to the extreme weather conditions. Growing food, building homes and gathering supplies were all matters of life and death. On Christmas Day, the first frame of their first house was up. But the workers paused before they could continue construction. They heard voices coming from the forest. Duncan's owner, John Goodman, and the other pilgrims grasped their muskets. They realized they weren't alone and wondered what lurked beyond the colony fences. The fearful pilgrims wondered if they were under attack from the devil or witches. Answers were not forthcoming, probably because the pilgrims were asking the wrong questions. The chanting wasn't demonic, but instead was the sounds of the Wampanoags. Over the course of the night, the noise crescendoed and then died entirely. And with the quiet came a new resolution for the pilgrims to build the colony as quickly as possible. The rest of the homes were hurriedly assembled. With this necessity taken care of, the pilgrims turned to their next challenge, replenishing supplies. On January 12, 1621, Goodman and Duncan ventured into the forest to gather wood and other provisions. But they weren't alone. They were joined by Goodman's friend, Peter Brown, and Martha, the English Mastiff. Considering their fears of demons and witches, the pilgrims must have been happy to have Martha along. According to the American Kennel Club, a female English Mastiff weighs around 150 pounds. And Mastiffs aren't just colossal, they're tough. They're extremely protective and wary of strangers. Not to mention, Martha was likely an experienced fighter. After years of bear baiting, she could easily protect her masters from wild animals and any other threats. 
With Martha providing security, Duncan was tasked with tracking scents of turkey, rabbit, deer, and other animals the pilgrims and their dogs could eat. And the humans worked together to cut thatch that blocked the wooded path. They made good progress, so during the afternoon they decided to stop and rest near a beautiful pond. Unexpectedly, a deer emerged from the woods and strolled toward the water. Four dog ears instantly perked up. Before Goodman or Brown could order them to heal, Martha and Duncan darted toward the deer. It leapt into the forest and the canines sped after it. At the rear, Goodman and Brown huffed and puffed, trying to keep up with their dogs. By the time they caught up with Duncan and Martha, the deer had vanished, and Goodman and Brown were utterly lost. Rain started to fall, and with no shelter, worry began to creep in. By sunset, snow was falling, and the men and their dogs were lost in the woods of a strange land. With no shelter and no way to get back home in the dark, the party was forced to sleep on bare earth without even a roof to block the snowfall. Goodman and Brown made what beds they could from fallen leaves and tried to angle wooden sticks for some shelter from the snow and rain. They snuggled the dogs close for warmth. Not long after they finally fell asleep, Goodman was awakened by a loud shrieking. The wail was violent and terrifying, and it didn't stop. In fact, the sound edged closer and closer. Goodman stirred Brown from his sleep. Something dangerous was drawing near. Mountain lions. And they were getting closer to the camp. Goodman and Brown whispered frantic plans to each other. They had no weapons, only the sickles they used to cut thatch. Their best shot at survival was to escape the lion's notice altogether. But if the mountain lions did come close, the men would climb onto a low-hanging bough and wait them out. There was just one problem. Duncan and Martha couldn't scale trees. Should the men draw the attention of the mountain lions, their dogs were sure to die. But the alternative meant no one would survive. The ideal situation was to keep quiet and still, and hopefully avoid detection. All night, mountain lions stalked the area. Goodman and Brown gripped Martha and Duncan, who sat up alert to every growl and mutter from the predatory cats. The men didn't know where the mountain lions were, but they watched the way the dogs cocked their heads toward every foreign sound. The dogs could sense exactly where the mountain lions were. Dogs have over 18 muscles in their ears that allow them to rotate like antennas. Each ear can also hear independently, meaning Duncan could attend to Goodman's orders while simultaneously listening to the approaching predators. So while Goodman urged Duncan to stay still and be quiet, the loyal canine also kept vigil 
for predators. All night, the four stayed quiet, waiting for dawn. Martha stood at attention, eager to confront the mountain lions. Duncan listened and watched. No one slept, but they all made it safely to sunrise. That morning, the mountain lion's growling faded to birds' happy chirps. Brown and Goodman began charting a path home, collecting whatever firewood they came across along the way. Hours passed peacefully until suddenly, Duncan lurched forward, guiding his masters to the base of a hill. It wasn't familiar, but Goodman knew that if he climbed to the top, he might see something recognizable. Sure enough, after the long trudge upward, they were greeted with a panoramic view of the harbor and a clear way home. Goodman, Brown, Duncan and Martha arrived at the colony later that evening. They were hungry and cold from the long journey. Even worse, Goodman's feet were frostbitten and severely swollen from spending the night in the snow, followed by an entire day on foot. The colonists had to cut his shoes off his feet. While the pilgrims treated Goodman's injured feet, Duncan licked his hand and tried to comfort his master. Although Goodman was in severe pain, he patted the dog's head and reassured him that he was a good boy. If not for Duncan's help in spotting the hill, he and Brown might have never found their way back. A few days later, on January 19, 1621, Goodman was able to resume some of his tasks. He was eager to get out of bed and see Plymouth's beautiful sunset. Of course, Duncan was restless too, so he joined Goodman on the stroll. As they walked along a tranquil pond, Duncan heard a noise in the undergrowth. Goodman paused and ordered Duncan to stay back. The noise faded to silence. Goodman shrugged it off and resumed their walk. But the rustling returned, and this time, it was closer. Goodman feared they were once again being tracked by mountain lions. But the creatures that emerged from the shadows were a pair of wolves. They gave one quick glance at Duncan, and he immediately burst into motion. The spaniel ran in circles, trying to elude the hungry creatures, finally taking shelter between Goodman's legs. Goodman stood protectively over Duncan, whose tail was tucked between his legs in fright. This loyal dog had helped Goodman too many times to count. Now, it was his turn to repay the favor. Goodman gripped his walking stick like a club. It wasn't much of a weapon, but it would have to do. Hoping to scare the wolves off, Goodman shouted at the top of his lungs. To his surprise, it worked. They retreated back into the forest. Goodman breathed a sigh of relief, petting Duncan. But then, the wolves came back. They sat in the forest and stared him down. 
Goodman tried to muster up the strength to fight. His feet were aching. His dog was cowering. He prepared to attack. But then, the wolves left again. Overcome with relief, Goodman embraced Duncan. The spaniel wagged his tail, fortunate to live another day with his master. Back at Plymouth Colony, Goodman recounted his latest death-defying experience. His friends gaped in wonder. However, modern historians suspect the account may have been exaggerated. History professor Struther Roberts has an alternate theory about John Goodman and Duncan's alleged wolf sighting. He points out that the local tribes hunted wolves, so a pair would likely have been afraid when encountering a man like John Goodman. In other encounters from the time, wolves growled, arched their backs, or slipped away quickly. Roberts believes Goodman and Duncan came across stray Native American dogs. According to the 1622 account of the Pilgrim's experiences, Mort's relation, the wolves were grinning at Goodman for quite some time. Looking at a human face and making eye contact is a distinct difference between dogs and wolves. Research conducted at Utvush University in Budapest found that wolves rarely look at human faces, even wolves raised by humans from birth. On the flip side, dogs read our faces for cues all the time. Although the pilgrims hoped that their new colony was far from any Native American settlements, Goodman's story about the so-called wolves may have been the first indication that the pilgrims weren't alone at Plymouth. Up next, the first true contact between the pilgrims, the Native Americans, and Duncan. Now, back to the story. When Pilgrim John Goodman and his dog Duncan arrived at Plymouth Colony in 1620, they were ready for a new life. But between a brutal winter and several near-death experiences, the settlers' hope had worn down to despair. The harsh weather continued through February of 1621. With limited mobility due to his injured feet, John Goodman did his best to hunker down with his supplies. His English Springer Spaniel, Duncan, never left his side. Even when the rain stopped and the winds calmed, the dog comforted Goodman all through the cold winter. When he wasn't with his master, Duncan could be found lying at the foot of another sick person's bed or simply listening to lonely people who needed to talk. He was a constant rock, a support in uniquely trying times. And Duncan was friendly to everyone who approached. On Friday, March 16th, when a visitor appeared atop a large hill, Duncan was the first to spot him. He was a towering figure with straight black hair and with a smooth face. Duncan barked, alerting Goodman and the others of the newcomer. The alarm was sounded. Women and children were ordered into their homes. As the visitor strode down the hill, nobody was sure if he was a Wampanoag or a member of another tribe. 
The man strode past a row of houses right into town. While the pilgrims bunched together, ready to fight, an inquisitive Duncan approached the visitor, tail wagging. One pilgrim ordered the stranger to stop, but nobody was sure the warning would work. To their surprise, he halted and looked around his surroundings. He smiled and greeted them warmly. Welcome, Englishman! He told them his name was Samoset. He was a chief from the Arbeniki tribe located at Pemaquid Point in Maine. Samoset explained that he had learned their language from a group of English fishermen. He had no intention of waging war. His chief desired to meet these newcomers. Pleased at the promise of a new alliance, the pilgrims welcomed Somerset into their town. He slept in Plymouth and the next morning promised that he would return with others. Before he left, Somerset passed Duncan and Goodman near the colony gates. The dog had been the first to greet him and now he was the last to say goodbye. Somerset knelt and brushed his fingers through Duncan's shiny coat. He and Goodman chatted for a few moments about the spaniel's beauty and friendliness. Goodman looked down at Duncan and smiled. He was proud of his dog. Five days later, on March 22, 1621, Samoset returned to Plymouth with other Native Americans. They were greeted by a group of pilgrims, including Goodman and Duncan. The visitors included the chief of the Wampanoag, Masasuit. The 40-year-old was in the prime of his life, a stoic figure draped in furs. His face was painted red and his head shimmered with bear grease. Masasuit was accompanied by Squanto, a member of the Patuxet band of the Wampanoag tribe who acted as the chief's English translator. After a lengthy exchange, the pilgrims drew up an agreement with Masasuit and his people. They outlined six rules that pilgrims and Wampanoag alike would follow to ensure peace between their people. It included a promise never to harm a member of any community. As the months progressed, the pilgrims were able to purchase land from Masasuit. Plymouth Colony began to take shape. Trade flourished between the people, making the pilgrims less reliant on scouting and hunting. Goodman and Duncan still went out occasionally for fun, but in his daily life, Goodman was able to return to his original passion, linen weaving. He made shirts, bedsheets, and other household items. When Goodman was hard at work, Duncan would sit at his side, ever loyal. And that devotion paid off as Goodman and Duncan entered a season of plenty. In the fall of 1621, the pilgrims' first full year in Plymouth was coming to an end. Through all the hardships they endured, they maintained gratitude for the blessings they felt they received from God and their Wampanoag neighbors. Thanks to Masasuit's tribe, the pilgrims had an ample harvest of corn, peas, and squash that fall. Fall also brought migrating birds through the colony, particularly ducks and geese. 
John Goodman, Duncan, and three other men were put to the task of hunting. Duncan was back doing what he loved, sniffing and sprinting and running down prey. In one trip, Duncan and Goodman gathered enough fowl to feed Plymouth for an entire week. By late September, the barley crop was finally in harvest and ready to be made into beer. It was a time to give thanks and rejoice in unity by feasting with their new allies. The pilgrims extended an invitation to Masasuit and his people, who accepted. Masasuit brought five deer for the feast. The pilgrims made furniture. They were all ready to celebrate. No one is certain of the exact date of the first Thanksgiving. Many historians place it around late September or early October. But whenever it happened, the first Thanksgiving was the culmination of a turbulent year for John Goodman, Duncan, and the rest of the pilgrims. Only 11 months prior, they'd been starving. In those dark days, they'd been terrified of the Wampanoag tribe, people the pilgrims now considered friends. As it turned out, both groups had a great deal in common, a love for family and love for the animals that surrounded them, including Duncan. In the years since that first gathering, the autumn Thanksgiving dinner has become a tradition in the United States. Families and friends gather to eat and express their gratitude and love. Often, people hearken back to that original meal, although many details have been lost to time. But some information has been preserved. One painting, The First Thanksgiving, by Jean-Léon Jérôme Ferris, depicts the event. It shows Wampanoags and pilgrims together, feasting and conversing. A woman serves a man who resembles Masasui as he sits with his legs crossed. Standing next to the woman is a Springer Spaniel. The Spaniel's head is turned in the other direction, staring out into the distance, keeping an eye out for his companions, perhaps beckoning them to join in the joyful celebration just like Duncan would have done. Thanks for listening to Dog Tales. Every dog has his day, and our day is Mondays. You can find more episodes of Dog Tales and all other podcast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite podcast originals like Dog Tales for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Dog Tales on Spotify, just open the app and type Dog Tales in the search bar. Several of you have asked how to help us. If you enjoy the show, the best way to help is to leave a five-star review. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. Join us next week for another good story about a good dog. Dog Tales was created by Max Cutler and is a Parcast Studios original. It is executive produced by Max Cutler. 
Sound design by Trent Williamson, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, Freddie Beckley, and Joel Stein. This episode of Dogtales was written by Rene Thomas Rodriguez, with writing assistance by Erin Lan. I'm Alastair Murden. Mm -hmm.